Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson. I'm Minister for Program Development here at the church. I also have with me Elizabeth Gray, our wonderful lay leader this morning. We welcome each and every one of you here. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition I invite you to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It is also our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our services by lighting a chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Please say with me our words for lighting the chalice. We light this chalice, the flame of our heritage, in solidarity with Unitarian Universalists and all the peoples of the world lighting candles of planetary hope. May it ignite a spirit of solidarity and enthusiasm for the new world we can create together. Unitarian Universalism is a faith without creed. There isn't a set of beliefs we all have to agree to. So sometimes people say, well, if you don't believe the same, then what holds you together? Well, as Unitarian Universalists, very broadly, we have a set of seven principles that hold us together. And in this church, we have that set of values that you all just read with Elizabeth. And out of those values arose our mission. It's our common purpose, and we love it so much, we put it on our wall and up on the screen and in your order of service, and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. And each week, we have been trying to deepen our understanding of beloved community by asking those of us who identify as white to think about something in the upcoming week. And since our topic is expectation this morning, I want to ask those of us who identify as white and for whom most of the children in our lives are also white, we have the expectation that we can send them out into the world and know that law enforcement is going to be there to serve and protect them, that their teachers and other authorities in their lives are going to treat them with dignity and respect. My question is, what if it wasn't that way? Next Sunday will be a special service called Celebration Sunday. We will celebrate 65 years of history in this congregation and a certain music director's 20th anniversary. And all of us will pledge to support this congregation in the year 2020. So we've been having people from the congregation tell us a little bit about what this place means to them, what this community means to them, and why they pledge. And so I invite Christina now to come up and share with us. Good morning, everyone. My name is Christina Nahidi, and um, when I was asked to speak about why I pledged, I said yes immediately, because like all of you, I love public speaking. (laughs) But it, it was honestly an easy decision, because I feel very strongly about this church and this community and the beloved community that we are working together to build. I grew up in Bucharest, Romania, and like almost everybody there, I was Eastern Orthodox. Um, Romania was a communist dictatorship at the time, and so religion was persecuted. And even though my parents were very religious, 
I only remember going to Easter midnight service mass. And that's because it was dark. And when it's dark, the government informants can't see you. So they can't report you. You can't lose your job. And you can't disappear in the middle of the night if nobody knows you were there. We got to America when I was 11, and we attended Catholic Church. Um, and that's because despite the great schism, it was the closest thing to the Eastern Orthodox Church we could find in Scottsdale, Arizona. And we were regulars, and I love that community and the rhythmic pattern of a church service, the, the modern music ministry. And as I grew older, it became tougher and tougher to ignore the many, many ways in which the Catholic Church didn't fit with my own values. And so I started looking. And I tried on different denominations, like I'm sure many of you have, and nothing felt quite right. And so I stopped looking. Life got busy. I attended law school. I got married. I had two kids. And after I had kids, I realized that I wanted them to have a community, to feel the same sense of belonging to something greater than themselves, to be empowered with tools, to think about the big questions in life. I wanted them to experience a community guided by service, by fairness, and by justice. So I finally tried again, and I attended my first service about a year ago. It was love at first service. <laughs> and I've attended almost every Sunday since then. And if you haven't seen me, it's because we are morning folk. And so I'm usually <laughs> here at first service. And so when pledge time came around last year, I had attended uh, First UU for only two months. And I pledged despite not being a member because UU gives so much to me. So I was honestly just looking for a way to do the same, to give back. Uh, especially since as an elder millennial, I don't carry cash. <laughs> so I started thinking of, of what I get each Sunday when I come here to First UU. And I made a list. So a First UU service to me is like therapy. It's therapy that inspires me to be better, to keep going, to help others, to keep trying, despite everything that's happening out there Monday through Friday. And so I thought, man, do therapists even work on Sundays? <laughs> and do they have two sessions blocked out for you so you could choose which one to go to in case you sleep in? <laughs> and how much would you pay for that? And First GU gives me a community of like-minded individuals, the peace that comes with knowing that I am not alone, that others see the same racism and the same injustice, and that they are working to help end it. First GU gives me a community that is a force, a force for good, a force for fighting to make this world a better place. Somewhat like group therapy, better, you know. <laughs> First U provides religious education for my son, Nicholas, and teaches him about the big ticket items, 
you know, how to accept everyone, especially those who are different, why caring for the environment is important, what fairness and justice look like, that love is love is love. But wait, there's even more. My daughter Natalie is right now in nursery. So now I'm looking for a therapist with childcare on a Sunday. <laughs> and I also get a free concert, right? I get amazing classical piano. I get blues, I get folk, Americana, rock, sometimes Adele. Last Sunday it was Tom Petty, and today it was George Gershwin. And where could I find that but here? And how could I forget about the coffee and the breakfast tacos and the bagels? A therapist with snacks, if you will. <laughs> this community gives so, so much to me. And when you think about it, it's really things that you can't get anywhere else. And it's, this community is so much bigger than all of these things that I just listed. This community is bigger than the sum of its parts. By pledging to this faith community, I am living my beliefs. By pledging, I am helping to create the kind of world that I want my children to live in. By pledging, I am standing up for what I believe in. I am giving to a community that can help, that can inspire and guide others to do the same. You see, pledging is a force multiplier. By pledging, I can magnify my voice with your voice. By pledging, I am ensuring that together we can work, serve, give, march, vote, and help build the beloved community together here. I urge you to join me in supporting First UU. You don't have to be a member to pledge. I urge you to pledge with your heart and to pledge with your whole self. Join us. Thank you. Thank you, Christina, for those inspiring words. Today's reading is entitled, Trust Yourself to the Water by Alan Watts. Faith is a state of openness or trust. To have faith is like when you trust yourself to the water. You don't grab hold of the water when you swim, because if you do, you'll become stiff and tight in the water, and you'll sink. You have to relax, and the attitude of faith is the very opposite of clinging and holding on. In other words, a person who is a fanatic in matters of religion and clings to certain ideas about the nature of God and the universe becomes a person who has no faith at all. Instead, they are holding tight. But the attitude of faith is to let go and become open to truth whatever it might turn out to be. This is the time in our service where we breathe together. We breathe together feeling the loving presence of those all around us. 
We follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of hopeful expectation, a place where our faith is continually renewed, that spark of the divine within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that in this congregation, human sounds and the sounds of small children are a vital part of that sacred silence. Breathing in, breathing out, we now enter into that time of silence together.
Throughout this month, our religious education classes and activities are exploring expectation as a spiritual topic. So today, in worship, we will also spend some time considering expectation, especially as it relates to our Unitarian Universalist faith. To begin with this morning, I'd like to start with a reflection on expectation taken from one of our great Unitarian Universalist sacred scriptures, National Public Radio. And some of the signs said that the rat in the cage was incredibly dumb, even though neither of these things was true. So then Bob brings this group of experimenters into his lab and says, for the next week, some of you are going to get these very smart rats and some of these very dumb rats. And your job is to run your rat through a maze and record how well it does. So what did they find? It was not even close. The smart rats did almost twice as well as the dumb rats. Even though they were, the, the smart rats were not smart and the stupid rats were not stupid. They were just all the same kind of average North Dakota rat. <laughs> that almost to me sounds like the stuff of science fiction, like telekinesis. Yeah, no one really believed him at first. I was having trouble publishing any of this. But what Bob eventually figured out was that the expectations that the experimenters had in their head actually translated into a whole set of tiny behavior changes. Handling rats and handling them more gently can actually increase the performance of rats. This kind of dynamic happens in people too. You may be standing farther away from someone you have lower expectations for. You may not be making as much eye contact. And it's not something you can put your finger on. That's Carol Dweck, a psychologist at Stanford. She was one of several researchers who explained all kinds of surprising things that expectations can influence. Like, teacher expectations can raise or lower a student's IQ score. A mother's expectations can affect the drinking behavior of her middle schooler. Military trainers' expectations can literally make a soldier faster or slower. Think about that. As you go through the world, the expectations of other people are constantly acting on you, literally making you stronger or weaker, smarter or dumber, faster or slower. Yeah. So my question was, how far does this go? So Carol, for example, if I expect that if somebody jumps off a building, they will be able to fly, that's not going to work out so well. Right? Right. So what does science know about where we should draw the line? That line is moving. As we come to understand things that are possible and mechanisms through which a belief affects an outcome or one person affects another person, that line can move. I loved that chapter from our NPR sacred texts because it captures so many of the conundrums we encounter when we examine our expectations, especially from a spiritual or faith-based perspective. So, for example, we set expectations for ourselves, yes, and yet, as the video demonstrated, other folks also place expectations upon us. And on top of that, we quite often internalize those expe expectations without even knowing we're doing it, and so they become unconscious self-expectations once again. 
Now, our expectations and those of others toward us can be greatly beneficial to us. Studies have shown, for instance, that positive expectations can beneficially influence everything from health outcomes to psychological well-being to career and sports performance and on and on and on. And yet, yet expectations can also limit us when they are set so high as to be unachievable or when our life situation changes such that what was once possible for us can no longer be a reasonable expectation anymore. And conversely, expectations that are set too low can also adversely influence us. For example, many, many studies have shown that teachers having lower expectations for students of color or with disabilities greatly disadvantages those students. So sometimes we have to learn to let go of unreasonable or harmful expectations, and sometimes, sometimes we try to defy expectations that would otherwise limit us or hold us back. It was interesting to me, too, though, that our expectations not only impact our video, our behavior and that of others toward us, like they talked about in the video, but other research also indicates that expectations can have actual physiological effects upon us. Now, my favorite study I found about this involved drinking beer. The researchers randomized people into two groups. Both groups were asked asked to taste test two different beer samples. One sample was just plain beer. The other was the same beer to which the researchers had secretly added balsamic vinegar. The researchers didn't tell the first group about that balsamic vinegar, the difference between the two beer samples, and interestingly enough, the first group overwhelmingly preferred the beer with the balsamic vinegar in it. The researchers told the second group, though, that there was that difference, that there was balsamic vinegar in the second beer before that group tasted the beer. Almost to a person, the second group hated the beer with the vinaigrette in it. Many going so far as to spit it out and exclaim something like, Oh, God, this is terrible. That expectation that adding the vinaigrette to beer would ruin the taste caused them to experience exactly that. And then subsequent tests showed that it wasn't just a mental perception. Telling the second group up front about the balsamic poisoning of their beer had subtly altered the physiology of the second group's taste buds compared to the first group's. And now other research has identified physiological effects from our expectations that are much more potentially life-altering than the taste of our beer. Other research has also found out that our expectations can draw our attention and focus so strongly that we may miss other important information. Now, this probably had a survival advantage at one time by, for instance, allowing us to focus on what we expected a potential predator might do and not get distracted by less less life-threatening things. Today, though, that focus itself can sometimes become the distraction. We're going to watch an example of this phenomenon. As you watch the next video, following the instructions at the beginning of it, Please try not to make any verbal reactions so you don't break the concentration of your fellow congregants. How many of you saw the man in the gorilla suit before they reround the video? Yeah, less than half. 
That's about the same statistic they found when they did this test among individuals. I watched it alone the first time, and I didn't see the gorilla. And that we don't see it because we're focusing so intently on our expectation about being able to correctly count the many times the folks in white passed the ball. And I did get the count right, by the way, even if I didn't see the damn gorilla. Next, I want to introduce you to Daniel Kish, whose story, I think, so embodies the power of letting go of unhelpful expectations, defying expectations that limit us, keep us from claiming our full potential and humanity. Daniel was born with a form of ocular cancer. His doctors had to remove one of his eyes when he was only seven months old and the other one when he was 13 months old. The first thing he did after waking up after that second surgery was to climb out of the crib and crawl around the nursery they had put him in in the hospital. So from the very beginning, Daniel insisted on climbing and finding his own way around. And for whatever reason, his mom decided not to try to hold him back, even though she was terrified that he would get hurt. And he did get hurt. But, he says, it was worth it. As you saw in the video, Daniel learned to echolocate. That sound he makes, the noise you heard him making in the video, it allows him to listen to how the noise bounces off of things and determine shapes and motions around him. It's much the same way that bats use sonar to navigate when they fly. As you saw in the video, Daniel even learned to ride a bike. By the time he entered elementary school, he was able to walk to school on his own and pretty much take care of himself throughout the day. And because his parents never enrolled him in an assistance program for the blind and let him go to a regular school, Daniel didn't encounter other blind people until he got much older. When he did, he was dismayed to discover that so many blind folks he met were unable to take care of themselves in, the so, in so many of the ways that he was capable Daniel came to believe that the well-intentioned efforts of loved ones and nonprofit services to help blind folks with so many aspects of daily living was actually creating expectations well below their potential. So he started the nonprofit organization he discusses in the video. Through it, he teaches echolocation to others and sets expectations allowing folks to live more fully, live more independently, and contribute to their communities. Now there's science behind this. Researchers using MRI scans have found that people using echolocation light up the brain in the same patterns of those of us with ocular vision. People using echolocation can correctly identify and describe the shape of objects placed in front of them as well as the direction of motion. I watched one video where they were making that clicking sound and they had a salad bowl on a wire that they moved in front of them and they could say that's a salad bowl and it's moving toward the left. So in a real sense... By raising expectations, by teaching echolocation, Daniel Kish is giving people a form of vision. And with that, I want to close by talking briefly about how I think expectation is such a large part of our own Unitarian Universalist faith. As Unitarian Universalists, we share seven principles that we affirm and promote. We're going to put them up on the screen for you. And it's likely that we'll be adding an eighth principle regarding dismantling racism. 
And at this church, we have that set of religious values that you all and Elizabeth read together earlier. Our faith principles, our religious values, they are our aspirations. The expectations we have set for ourselves concerning how we will be in our world, how we will be with one another, how we will live our lives. And we, we are reaching for those expectations all of the time in so many ways through the many ministries and programs of this church as well as our larger denomination. As I mentioned, next Sunday we'll have the chance to live our values when we celebrate this religious community and all pledge together to support it into the future. I want to give you one example that I'll hold up. Our Green Sanctuary ministry team has been living out our principle about respect for the interdependent web in so many ways. Just recently, they got the Austin City Council and the Travis County Commissioner's Course to pass resolutions that require our city and county governments to put into high gear actions across their departments to fight the climate crisis. And this Friday, September 20th, Unitarian Universalists from across the country will live out the expectations of our faith by joining in a worldwide climate strike. Led by our youth, people from across the world will join together to demand urgent action on the climate crisis before it is too late. And folks, we don't have long, a few years at most. We're going to put up a slide with some links where you can get more information, and those are also on our church website and a handout that's available in the foyer on the visitor's table. And I want to let you know that here in Austin, the climate strike will begin with rallies at the state capitol at 10 a.m. and then again at noon on this coming Friday. I hope as many of us who can will live out our religious values by participating in one of those rallies. Our youth are expecting us to leave them a world that is at least livable. Our youth are expecting us to act as if our house is on fire. Because it is. As Unitarian Universalists, our faith has always been one of hopeful expectation. For Unitarian Universalists, our faith expectation is that there is meaning and beauty in our world that has yet to be fully revealed. As Unitarian Universalists, our faith tells us that we are the ones who must unveil those revelations yet to become. May we make it so. Amen. Now, please say with me our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Come and go with me to that land. Come.
This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.